study in Romans 8, and uh, we're going to uh, look here at verse 24. So we'll start reading in verse 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, those verses, verse 26 and 27, are verses that people trip over and usually kill themselves with. And uh, we will be talking about them starting next time. Um, And the issue here really is the issue of prayer. We know not what we ought to pray for, so everybody's got an idea about that. But when you understand what prayer really is, these verses really kind of clear themselves up. And the, 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 ver, the word that does it is the first word of verse 26, the word likewise. So likewise, in other words, we need to grasp what's going on in verse 24 and 25. Because likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. And that word likewise, uh, like manner, similar to. So if we understand what's happening in verse 24 and 25, then when we get over in verse 26 and following, where Paul is now going to shift to the working of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, it's not very difficult to understand what's happening here. And we need to remember the immediate context of verse 26 and 27, really, and following, which is going to be verse 18 and following. Verse 18, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So we have that the issue here of the present suffering of this time. We're in a dispensation of suffering. We're in the fellowship of suffer. Suffering, And even though we do, verse 17, have a joint heirship with Christ, even though we do understand that we may be also glorified together and we've got a future glory, and we've spent three weeks looking at all of that, right now, in the present suffering, suffering sits up here. You remember that scale idea. Glory is down. Suffering never moves it. You know, even in the moment when it feels like, oh my goodness, I'll never make it, it still is not worthy to be compared with the glory. So it doesn't counterbalance it out. It actually outweighs the suffering. And that's the mindset that Paul's after. That's the mindset that the sons of God, the adult, is going to have. It's not worthy. There's no comparison. Glory will always outweigh suffering. And when we look and and we begin to focus in on that future, the end of verse 23 there, we're waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We're waiting for that. We're waiting to be placed as joint heirs, as sons of God, as the the adults there in in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, as we're waiting for that, because it hasn't happened yet. He's left us here. And uh, he, he's talking about a future day 
as we're waiting for that, what should be our mindset then as we move through this and as we begin to understand, hey, this is how God is going to work. This is how God is not going to work. In modern Christianity today, everybody prays for God to intervene, to put immunity around them, to remove the suffering, to fix this or that. And in, and in reality, we're going to go back over to 2 Corinthians 4 here in just a minute. God do, will not do that because when he does that, could God remove all the hurt? Sure. But he's got a better plan. Well, if he removes that, then he takes away from the better side of it. And when you understand that, then guess what you quickly, we know not what we ought to pray for. Well, in the moment, what are we praying? God, take it out of the way. Get rid of this thing. And in reality, an adult son and mature thinking is going to be, hang on a minute, that issue is going to work for me a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Does it hurt? Yes. It, it stings. It's, it's bitter pill to swallow the whole bit. But if I think about it properly, what's it going to produce over here? It's going to produce something wonderful. And that's really what Paul's getting with us here, starting in verse 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? So we, we do have hope. We're saved by hope. And again, it's, this isn't sa the saved here is not justification unto eternal life. He's not talking about saving your soul from hell and forgiving your sins. He's talking about save salvation, being rescued in, from the present day of suffering. And how are we going to be rescued? By hope. But hope isn't something that you see. That's what he, verse 24, but hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth. Why doth he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that, we see not. You see, there's, there's an issue here that, that move, that's moving our, our thing. It's almost like Paul's like going, what are you guys looking for? What are you waiting for? You know, what are you looking for? <laughs> Why do you keep looking over there when over here is the information and the instruction? Saved by hope. By the way, there in verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. The, see, there's a connection here with this first fruits of the Spirit. And the idea there is that we possess the very one who made the promise, the very one who made the guarantee that we will be one day installed as the sons of God in that future glory. That's the same one who now, the Holy Spirit, who now is going to empower us to live out that future reality. I ended last week talking about, hey, because of the future, we can now look at that and say we can live now as if we're already there. And that's the same one who now empowers us to live out that reality right now in our present situation. So the first fruit concept here is we don't have to wait to apply our sonship position. There's a thought out there that you, you're not really brought to maturity until you get to heaven. 
the rapture. Well, the, why, and they use the verse in 1 Corinthians 13 about, behold, now we look in a glass darkly, and then we see him, then we're face to face. And they say, see, that's the rapture, that's when we're face to face. But there's no rapture in, that ver in those verses at all. It's talking about understanding and partial and full and all that. So the idea of you waiting till you get to heaven to be completely mature is counter what 2 Timothy 3.17 tells us. 16 is all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, <coughs> for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. You're to do that right now. Okay? So we, even though we groan and we're waiting for that new body, we do have the first fruits. And so now we can enjoy that issue of being glorified. Actually, if you look down at verse 30, 30, Moreover, brethren, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and in whom... And whom he justified, them he also glorified. All of that's past tense. It's all done. And again, Romans 4, in the minds of, in, in the eye of God, it's done, even though in our reality it isn't there yet. So we can access, apply, bring into our lives right now the details of who we are in Christ in that sonship position. Now in verse 24, for we are saved by hope. We're now going to learn, we're now going to be instructed, we're going to be taught, as Paul does, on the issue of how, the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer today in the age of grace. We're saved by hope. Not at, notice it's by hope, by. We don't need, we don't, we, we looked back up there at creation and stuff a couple weeks ago, and the fact is, is we don't need to let the disease, the decay, the death defeat us. Why do we groan? Why do we suffer? Well, we have this connection to the sin-cursed creation. However, because of who we are in Christ, he's been resurrected. Death couldn't hold him. When the father looks at him, he sees him resurrected and seated. And then he says, okay, because you're in my son, that's how I see you. Ephesians 2 there, verse 6, he's raised us up and set us together with him. That's a done deal. So now we, in our thinking, we can come along and say, you know what? Death doesn't defeat us. Death, there's no need for me to allow the emotional trauma, the trauma of suffering to defeat me. I can think and I can work down through the issues. By the way, the issues of life stay the same. My, I got my truck back this week. Guess what? It's back in the shop again. Okay? So, I, and you know, I use that as an illustration not to garner sympathy unless you want to buy me a new truck. Then I, I'll, I can put my order in with you. Okay? But the thing is, is it's, uh, hey, what, we all go through this. And you begin to work it down. I pulled in, I took it back to the mechanic, and he just looks at me and he goes, why? What did you do? And I said, well, here's what happened. Boom. He goes, same. I said, a similar, a little different this time. 
And he goes, all right, I'll let you know. I haven't heard a word. I called him Friday. He said, I don't know nothing yet. I'll let you know Monday. I'm like, okay. Probably won't work tomorrow because of the holiday. <laughs> but the thing is, is you can do what with it? You can work down through it. And we know that the suffering is designed to work for us. So what are we? We're saved by hope, a hope of future eternity and glory. But in the moment, that sustains us, that saves us, that, that frees us from having the emotions in the moment control us, defeat us, traumatize us. And that's really what Paul's after here. Look, guys, you're sons. You're dead to sin. You're dead to the law. You're dead to the flesh. You're alive unto Christ. You're alive unto the Father. You're alive through the Holy Spirit. You got all this going for you. You're joint heirs. You're sons. Don't let the stinking rotten right now defeat all that. Let's think about this logically. And now Paul, that's what Paul's going to begin to do here is he's going to begin to make a, some connections here. And he's going to say, hey, let us think through this logically and let's come to the same conclusions that the Father would have us come to together. So he says, verse 24, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope forth? What are you looking at? How are you viewing this? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. We aren't going, we're not to be defeated by the effects of the sin-cursed creation. We are not to be defeated in the moment we're to take that and we're to cause it to allow us to grow and to have it work in us. By the way, in verse 26, what does the Spirit want to do? He wants to help. Likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. So we're, we have to... We have to let kind of we have to we have to let go of looking at it the way we want to look. Our our flesh looks at it one way. <laughs> Get rid of this. This is ridiculous. You know, I'm ready to take the truck to the crusher and just start over new. You know, now reality is different, but that's what the emotion does to you. And rather than let looking at the way we do, let's go look at how God looks at it. And let's think about that. And let's think about how God has, you know, God's never promised immunity to anyone in Scripture, even Israel. He looks at Israel and says, if you obey my word, then I will do this for you. I'll put a hedge about you. I'll protect you. When, they got, when the serpents came in with Moses and the brazen serpent and all that, and, the, and you know, see, that was because they weren't obeying. There was a consequence in that covenant. He never promised to, to protect them from anything unless they were obeying his word. But for you and I, there is no passage in Paul's epistles that says that you won't get sick, you won't get ill, you won't decay, and you won't die. The closest thing you can come to it is 1 Thessalonians 4 where he says, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in 1 Corinthians 15 about our being changed. <laughs> and this mortal puts on immortality. See, God doesn't protect us, doesn't promise to, to, do, to, to give us immunity. 
And the thing is, is why doesn't he then? Because he has something better. The question gets asked, well, what's better than God healing you from cancer? Okay, that's the big one. Really, what's better than God healing you from really anything? You know, it's a bad toenail. Well, what does verse 18 say? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy. They're not worthy to be compared. What's better than glory? That's what we're learning. You see, we're actually learning that the suffering that we're going to go down through and endure is actively contributing, come over to 2 Corinthians 4, to our glory, to our future glory. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, and I know we've been in these verses, but that's where we're at here with Paul. In Romans 8, Paul's getting the ideas laid, the foundation. 2 Corinthians, here's some more information. Ephesians, some more information. Philippians, some more. Because in, in, in Galatians and in Ephesians and in Philippians and in Timothy, we learn that, hey, we could actually make decisions in our lives that cause us to suffer for him. Here we're suffering in Romans 8 because of our connection with the creation. And in Philippians 1 and in and 1 Timothy 4 there, or... Uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, we're suffering for his sake. We've made decisions that says, hey, we're going to do this, and that's the consequence, and we're good with it. But look at 2 Corinthians 4. Look at verse 16 again. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish. Here's how the proper thinking ought to be. Here's the impact on how we are to pray. Verse 26 in Romans 8, we know not how we ought to pray. Here's how you ought to be praying. Here's how you ought to be thinking. The way that we pray is determined by the way we understand what God is doing. That, how we, what determines our prayer life is, is determined by our understanding of what God's doing today. What is God doing today? He's not putting a hedge about us and putting us in immunity, you know, put you in the bubble. He says, hey, you're going to get out there, you're going to suffer, and you know what? You're going to figure this out. Verse 16, again, what's better than glory? There's nothing. It's not worthy to be compared. So how then, here, here's how we're to think about, here's how, the Spirit's going to help our infirmities, our mindset. Verse 16, the outward man does what? Perish. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. The outward man is, what is this old body going to do? It's going to perish. If the Lord tarries, it's going to get, this, you're going to get, you're going to, oh, here's that word, old. <laughs> you're going to get diseased. You're going to decay. And you're going to die. Happy, happy, happy. Joy, 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 right? Well, for us who understand what's going on, yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Because what is our inner man being done? Renewed day by day. Renewed. You take the word in. When you're reading three chapters a day, something that simple. 
You're taking in God's viewpoint is what you're doing. We connect with God on the pages of his word where he's revealed himself. And when we do that and we begin to take in his viewpoint, what's his viewpoint? The outward man, creation, is going to perish. Remember last week we looked at why? Because Satan came in and said, I'm going to use creation to accomplish my goals. What does God say? That, no, no, it's going to die. He says, hey, I'm going to use man. He goes, no, man's going to die. And, and you're, it's not going to be usable. And you see, but that inward man comes along in what? Well, when, you know when you die, your soul and your spirit go absent from the body, present with the Lord? That's your inner man. That's the two pieces of you that make up your inner man, your spirit and your soul. And those, when they go, so when you go, you know, naked, naked you came into the world, naked you leave, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, burn them, <laughs> you know, all those wonderful funeral verses. Well, wait a minute. When you go to heaven, what goes with you? Your inner man. So everything that you've put into your inner man is going to do what? Go with you. You're not going to take this stuff. You're going to take... So if you're putting in the sound doctrine, you're putting in God's word into your inner man, then what goes with you? That amount. That goes with you. So we are renewed. So God's viewpoint is, is hey, the outward guy is going to die Put in the new stuff. Get that stuff in that inward man. And you know what? Hope allows us, it empowers us to be, con to be consumed with this line of thinking, with this viewpoint. And I'll be honest with you, what a, what, what a better way to view life. I mean, to always worry about if I do this, I, I think about Paul. You're in 2 Corinthians uh, look over at chapter 12, chapter 12, and then get Acts 14. I think about this with Paul. We'll start in 2 Corinthians 12. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 2. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such as one is caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into, the, into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Notice Paul. something has happened to Paul. Paul is taken up to the third heaven. Well, in Acts 14, verse 19... Acts 14, verse 19, and Paul is stoned at Lystra and Derbe, at Lystra and Derbe there. Verse 19, and there came certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, what? Supposing he was dead. They did a pulse check and they didn't find anything. They said, he's dead, we killed him. Paul says in that moment, I was caught up to the third heaven, and I got some information. I heard, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 4, I heard unspeakable words, 
which is not lawful for a man to utter. And everybody's got weird ideas about that. Paul never told us. But, you know, if you look back at Acts 10, there's an interesting thing in that. Uh, look, look, look at Acts 10, that issue of not lawful to utter. Um, by the way, he's carried off, he's caught up into paradise. In Scripture, that is only way to re- uh, that is a reference only to Abraham's bosom. The Lord looks at the thief on the cross, you'll be with me today in paradise. So somewhere along the line, paradise, which sat in the heart of the earth, was moved into the third heaven. How do you know that? Verse 2 says he was caught up to the third heaven. So somewhere in there that happened. But the, this issue in verse 4, and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Look at Acts 10, and look, if you will, at verse um, 28. Now, Paul is going to Cornelius here. Verse 23. Then came he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and called together his kinsmen and near friends, even as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I myself also am a man. Man, you know that the angel said that to John in the book of the Revelation. John fell down. He said, Stand up. I'm, a, I'm, just, I'm just a create creation like you. Get up. <laughs> And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. Now watch verse 28. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company, or come unto one of another nation. So it was against the rules for Peter to be talking to these guys, to the Gentiles. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. What Peter says there, unlawful for me to come and talk to you. What Peter's saying is, is based on the program, it's not time for me yet to talk to you guys. When were the little flock going to talk to the Gentiles? Matthew 28, in the kingdom. In Acts 10, they're not in the kingdom yet. Matthew 28, they know, they understand. Acts 1 said, you guys understand this. They understand that when they get in the kingdom, they're going to go out to the nations and they're going to preach and teach and do their program. Peter says in verse 28 of Acts 10, it's unlawful for me to be here. It isn't that he had nothing to say to the Gentiles. Actually, you start in verse 34 there and you read the message that Cornelius believed, and it's a works of righteousness message. So he heard the gospel of the kingdom. That's what he heard. That's what he believed. He became a member of the little flock. But in verse 28, Peter says, hey, it's not time yet. It's unlawful. It's not time yet to go to the Gentiles. But God did what? God's unchanged program, and i got to come talk to you. Now, that's our speak because we understand Paul. So in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, when he says it's not lawful for a man to utter, Paul says it's not time to reveal this information yet. 
we're in Acts 14. It's not time in Acts 14 to reveal Ephesians' doctrine, if you will, the future revelation. When it's time, then guess what's going to happen? It's revealed. When he says unspeakable words there, that's the idea. Could you imagine in Acts 14, Paul just getting started? Go back there to Acts 14, and I am way off our base this morning, but Acts 14, it's summer. Acts 14, can you imagine if in in Acts 14 he got up, instead of going back into Derby, said, hey, guys, guess what? I got this wonderful revelation about the greatness of the body of Christ in this. And they're looking at him going, what? He's just gotten started in his ministry. The churches of Galatia are just established. The church at Thessalonica is just, these churches are just getting started. And for him to dump on them heavy revelation, you know, Ephesians doctrine, would have blown them away. But notice what Paul did do. Acts 14, 20. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. He goes right back into the city that just kicked him out, killed him. And from Acts 14 on, you see Paul have no regard for his life. He hears about they're going to kill him, So what happens? They let him down the wall. They do some things. But that's others. He says, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And the Spirit had told him what? Don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. Why would he go to Jerusalem? Well, I want my, you know, Romans 9, 10. I want my brethren to hear, blah, blah, blah. And and come back there to 2 Corinthians 4. He says, I'm going, he doesn't have, why? Because he's got God's viewpoint. He's got, hey, here's the big picture. Here's the viewpoint to have. So he, it's, it's almost like he just said, you know what, I don't care what happens. I'll just eat what I need to survive. We're go- doing ministry, period. We're not doing anything else. And when he goes, he, he's going to go take the, the offering to the poor saints at Jerusalem there, uh, Romans 15, um, Acts uh, 20, 21, right in there. He has, and that's where the Spirit says, don't go. And he says, well, I'm going. And the Spirit says, okay, if you're, you're, you're going to go, and here's, who, and here's what's going to happen. You're going you're gonna to be thrown in jail, and you're going to die. Didn't deter Paul at all. Because what does Paul know about? What does he have in his understanding? That future glory. He saw the principalities, powers, mights, thrones, dominions, he saw all of that governmental structure set. He saw the head sitting in his place, the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw all of us in there. He saw the body right where it's supposed to be. And he says, hey, there's nothing better than that. No suffering compared to glory. Now, I'm not saying that you ought to go out there and, you know, damn the torpedoes full, full bore ahead, you know. All right, I'm not saying go do that, but that's the thinking we're to have because we're going to suffer. We're going to groan. The outward man, verse 16, will perish, but yet that inward man, it's renewed day by day. Guess what? It'll have God's divine viewpoint on things, and that, the hope, we're saved by hope. Boy, what a be- no better way to view life. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. 
for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Again, he's not making light of the affliction. But when the afflictions come, they're for a moment. Even though it seems like the truck's been in the shop for two months now. It's only been a couple weeks. Okay, I get it back every Monday and every Wednesday it goes back in. I, don't, I get on the freeway, lights come on. Engine bought, I'm like, all right, here we go again. You know, so I got to change up when I come to church, I guess. So Wednesday night now, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, yeah, exactly. There you go. So the, the thing is, is verse 17, it's for the moment, worketh for us. That's God's viewpoint. When we are renewed in the inner man, Guess what, what's going to happen? That should becomes our viewpoint. Where we can take the mindset of God's viewpoint of, hey, he's not removing it. It's common to man. It's not going anywhere. But God who is faithful, he's made a way for you to escape, the way to made for you to bear it, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You're able to get through this, so we're to take that mindset and we're to apply it to the details of life. And when we do that, it impacts our eternity. And it impacts it to our advantage in eternity. Verse 17, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal, notice, weight of glory. Could you imagine, here you are, you're trying to balance the scales between suffering and glory. And every time you add suffer, glory just gets heavier. Every time, and you work through it, and it just, it just, it never seems to... Come to, and then all of a sudden it just goes boom, and it doesn't matter. And that's, the, that's in our thinking. That's in our mindset. So Paul says, verse 18, while we, notice, look. What are you looking at? How are you looking at the details of life? How are you thinking about this? What are you looking for? Are we looking for God to rain down blessings from heaven? And if we dump enough prayer quarters in there, the vending machine in the sky idea, are we looking for him to put a hedge about us? Because if you are, you're not looking properly. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When God put a hedge about Israel, it was only there as long as Israel was obeying the commandments. The moment that they quit obeying and rebelled, he took away that. That's why when David sinned with Bathsheba and he's confessing it, he says, Take not thy spirit from me. Because that is how this worked in their program. You and I today, we don't have that. Why? What are you looking for? Well, Romans 8, we're to have a walk of faith. Romans 8, verse 24. We are saved by hope. Suffering is not the enemy. We're not af- are, are you afraid to die? You shouldn't be, because you know what's on the other side of the veil. See, we are not afraid to die. By the way, how do you know that? God's word says, you're in my son. I resurrected my son. I will resurrect you. Joint heir, the connection. 
But, verse 24, hope that is not seen. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? There's 418. Things we look for are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. What are you looking for? It's not, it's not hard <laughs> to see how this goes. You know, it's kind of like past, present, and future. What are you looking for? Well, are you looking for God to come in and miraculously intervene and boom? By the way, he did that already in your life the moment he saved you. The moment he took you out of Adam and put you in Christ. He translated you from satanic darkness into the light of the glorious liberty of his grace. He's already done that. We know who we are. We're learning it from the pages of his word. That's intervening in your life on a daily basis. We understand who we are. We understand how we're going to spend eternity. We learn this. And we learn it by the eye of faith and the faith in the word of God to us. But if you see it, it's what? Temporal. There's no hope in it. You look around. I was looking at something on the TV the other night. I don't even know what it was. It was like 2 in the morning and, you know, you can't sleep. And then you finally get to sleep and you wake up three hours later and it's like, really? <laughs> you know, stupid dogs. You know, but the thing is, is I was watching something and they had a gold coin thing. They were talking, it wasn't a, like QVC or anything, but they were discussing gold and the, the original findings of gold way back and all this stuff. And they said, if you had that ounce of gold that was discovered back in, you know, whenever, today's dollars, it's, and it was like a billion or something, it was ridiculous. And I'm sitting there going, Nobody has that piece because the guy that found it, you know what he did? He didn't know what he had, and he probably melted it down or threw it away or did something with it. Why? Because it's what? Temporal. It goes away. Eternity. Faith. Verse 24, hope. We're saved by hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Paul's asking a very poignant question there. What realm are you looking for God to operate in? Where is he really operating? So he says, verse 25, But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience, what? Wait for it. If we take the word of God's instruction to us and we believe it. We walk by faith in it. We're going to have hope in something that we don't see. By the way, don't, not seen. Verse 19, what is the creature waiting for? The manifestations of the sons of God. The, right now, that's, that is... That verse over in Colossians, our life is hid in God. Hid not in that, you know, you can't find it, but hid in that it's not, what, manifested yet. We're waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We know we have it, we just don't, what, see it yet. It's not there. It's ours by faith in who we are in Christ and our understanding, but it hasn't been put on display yet. That will help with that verse in Ephesians 3 where he says to make all men see what is the 
fellowship of the mystery. How do we make all men see? We take all that we understand and we put it on display in time. What do we understand? We understand our glory and our future and we understand how to take what we know and apply it to life. And then men, man sees that. Verse 25, there is a, an impact, there is a result of hope, and that is we, with patience, wait for it. Now, we're not very patient, <laughs> are we? We wake up, oh, Lord, come back today. Come on, baby, come on, bring it home. Let's go, you know. <laughs> and we try to talk him out of, what, out of, out of, out of heaven's glory, where, but it produces what? Patience. Peace under pressure is one way how patience has been defined. We're waiting for the adopt redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. We're waiting for that divine declaration of our joint heirship and that we are the sons of God and that we are the fullness of Jesus Christ. We're waiting for that. And how are we to do it? Patience. Patiently, relaxing in who we are in Christ, saying, you know what? I'm by faith going to be here. I'll let all that go down. I'm right here. And if the stock market crashes tomorrow or Tuesday, because tomorrow's a holiday, it'll just do that, but I'm right here. That song by Lee Greenwood uh, that everybody sings on the 4th of July or whenever they get patriotic, you know, hey, if you lost everything... You know, thank God for the country. No, thank God for who you are in Christ, see. Because no matter what happens to you physically, which, by the way, later in the chapter 8, we're going to find out who can separate you from the love of Christ. Absolutely nothing. Doesn't matter what the deal is. But that comes by hope. And the result there is the issue of patience. Now, in that context, verse 26, likewise. So the context of verse 24 and 25 are now going to set up what he's going to do the rest of the chapter here. And it's a likewise. He's, Paul is transitioning to the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer now. He says, look, here's who you are. Here's your identity, and you've got a helper. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. You've got this wonderful provision in who you are in Christ, and now we're going to add an, a power center, the Holy Spirit, and he wants to help that. He doesn't want to change it. He wants to help it. And that word, likewise. Not in addition to, but in like manner or in the same manner. Think about, we're saved by hope. Hope is going to rescue you from the emotional trauma of the suffering. It'll sustain you. Hope is what gets you through Hope is what allows you to patiently endure or to bear under the suffering. In the same manner, the Holy Spirit wants to come along and he wants to help you. Now, where does the Holy Spirit work? In his word. Works through the word. So when we get down into the groanings and the intercessory and all of that, you'll see 
that it's not what we've learned in religion. It's completely different, actually. It's talking about our prayer life. We know not what we ought to pray. But when you think about the Holy Spirit coming and helping, likewise, a great illustration of, that, of this is the moving of a table. You take a table. We got them next door. Actually, Linda and I did this with the young married couple's dinner a couple months ago. We had the table set, the food on it, but it was in the wrong place. Now, this was pre-fall and break her arm. So I said, pick up that end, I'll pick up this end, and let's slide it down because we had to get it closer to the, where the uh, coffee maker and stuff was. Okay? So she took the light in, and I took the heavy end, and we, we picked it up. And so here you are. Think about this. With Likewise, he wants to help us. Hope. Here you are. You've got this table of suffering, and you're on your, the heavy end. The Holy Spirit's going to come along and say, let's switch ends, and let me take this end. You take that end. Pick it up and move it. He wants to help you move it. He doesn't, he's not going to remove it. Him trying to remove it violates what we just learned in 2 Corinthians 4. It violates what the Father wants done in the realm of suffering. When you suffer, what does it do? It works for you a far more weight exceeding weight of glory. If I remove the suffering, then you don't get that exceeding weight of glory. So he's not going to do that. He's going to come along and lift up, pick up his end of the table. And you know what he might do? He might make you, depending on how bad you've been, <laughs> well, you guys got to laugh. It's only Sunday morning. He may leave you on the heavy end, and he'll pick up the light end. If you make him groan, I think about, you know, we groan, make the Holy Spirit groan. It's like, oh. He's on the heavy end again. No, I'm just kidding. But that's the idea. He, likewise, the Holy Spirit also helpeth our infirm, helpeth. How does he do that? He wants to help, not remove. He wants to come along and help. If he's going to remove it, which, by the way, that's what we all want him to do, then he, he's violating Scripture. He's violating a principle that the Father has established and that the suffering, the tribulation is to work for us. So he wants to come and help us. Where does he help? Verse 27. And he that searcheth the what? The hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the realm that the Holy Spirit works in He's going to help us in the realm that he's going to take up the opposite end of the table and lift it and move it is in your heart. The very area of your inner man that is the thinking process, the evaluating process, the, the think it down through area with the heart man believes under righteousness. And when he does that, he's not working out here. The outward man perish. He's working where? Inward man. Come over to Romans 5. Romans 5. We've already seen some of this in our study in Romans. By the way, this is the 81st lesson, and we're only in Romans 8. 
So you know where we're heading, right? Triple digits. <laughs> okay? We're in the doubles now. We'll be in triples before, well, maybe by the end of Romans 10. I don't know. We'll see. Look at Romans 5.5. 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our, where? Hearts. By who? By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The realm that the Holy Spirit's working in is where? In your hearts. That's where he's working. The love of God is shed abroad. Man, you be, you be loved of God. Shed abroad. Doesn't miss any of the nooks and crannies. But look back up at verse 2. By whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in what? Hope of the glory of God. Isn't that interesting? Hope and glory, we, it don't, they don't get too far from each other. And the Spirit's going to work in our hearts, and He's going to shed abroad in our hearts. But look at verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. What's the next word? Knowing. We know something. We've had our inner man renewed. We have a divine viewpoint about tribulations. And we knowing that what? Tribulations worketh patience. And patience, experience, and experience, what? Hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God, because of who we are, all of this, that thinking process. The Holy Spirit says, let me come in, let me help you. Let me help adjust your thinking so we can lift this table and get her moved. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3. In verse number 3. 2 Corinthians 3, For as much as ye, that's the local church there at Corinth, are manifestly declared to be the epistles of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. They are questioning his credentials. They, in verse 1, they want letters of commendation. What does he say? Ye, church at Corinth, ye, the group, ye are our epistles written in our hearts, knowing and read of all men. And what kind of ink does he use? Holy Spirit ink. What is the tablet? The heart. The Holy Spirit is working in hearts. Come over to Galatians 3. I love this one. This is Galatians 3. These are those questions that Paul asks to get you to think, <laughs> to get you to pay attention. Galatians 3, verse 3. Are ye so foolish? Uh, foolish, not thinking. Verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? You're not thinking. You're slow-minded here. You're not having the word. You don't have, they have a defiled conscience. They have a weak conscience. They don't have enough information on board. And he says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? You guys, where do you guys think the spirit works? In your flesh or in your heart? See how he asked that question? You guys aren't thinking right. You, you come over to chapter 4. You think the Spirit's going to work in that old stinking rotten flesh of yours? No, he works in your heart. Galatians 4, verse 6. 
And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Come over to Ephesians 3. Probably the, the best verse, verse 16 on this. 3.16, that he, and that will be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit, where? In the inner man, that, here's why, Christ may dwell in your, what? Heart by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in, in love may be able to comprehend and on and on he goes. Where does the Holy Spirit strengthen you? In the inner man. In your heart. Come over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Philippians 2.13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So when, you, when we come back to Romans 8, it's time to be done. Romans 8, verse 26, we'll pick up here, talk about prayer next time. The Holy Spirit only works, he only operates in our inner man, in your heart. And usually it's by faith. It really is close there. Folks, the Holy Spirit wants to help us, help our infirmity. He's on our side. And when we look at it properly, and when we come to it with the way God would have us view it, then 837 becomes a reality in our life. Nay, and all these things. It doesn't say all things, it's all these things. Very specific. The context is suffering of the present time. Verse 18. And all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're more than what? Conquerors. We have victory. We're not defeated. We have victory. We have a hope. And the Holy Spirit says, I want to help with your situation. And in order for me to do that, you need to renew the inner man get the information on board, and then I'll help you pick it up and get involved. Wonderful verse over in 1 Corinthians 15. We'll close here. By the way, we'll pick up in verse 26 next time, we'll, and we'll uh, talk about prayer, some of what else is in the rest of the verse there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse uh, 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal have, shall have put on immortality. So the rapture has happened. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where is our victory? Where is our hope? It's in who we are in Christ. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's, where you're, that's the mindset to have. So in Romans 8, Paul's just laying that foundation in, and then later, as you've, we've seen, he builds on that. But he's laying in the fact that we have a hope that sustains us, Likewise, guess who we have? The Holy Spirit. He's going to work the similar manner, like manner that hope does, and he's there to help you. Okay? Then in verse 26 there, he says, For we know not what we should pray for. And then that sends everybody in a tailspin for two verses. Then in verse 28, We know that all things work together for good to them love God, who are called according to it. Then that really spins them even more. <laughs> so we'll, get, we'll hopefully not spin you too much. Okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the instructions in it, for the capacity that we have to know who we are in you and to enjoy that and to bring that into our daily lives. In your name we pray, amen. All right.